Uh, that, that would have w- that- absolutely been the cold open if we'd have caught that one. <laughs> True. Starting my recording now. <laughs> Dodged a bullet. <laughs> Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, founder and CJO of Philly's first and finest French fusion cheesesteak food truck, Jean Ne Sais Quoi. Oh my God. Did you say CJO? I did. That's uh, Chief John Officer. I've decided I don't want to be on this podcast anymore. <laughs> well, too bad. Who else do we have hosting this episode? You have co-host Jeremy Ruggles, the John driver at John is Sequa. I drive the John. I cook the John. I give the people the John. All right. Anyone else? (laughs) I am co-host Peter Cook, and I am Mr. Landlord from Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood. (laughs) We have a celebrity on the podcast today. (laughs) Yes, yes, autographs afterwards. (laughs) Oh, goody. We have two celebrities. Who else is here? Uh, I'm Wes. Wes Wheat, I've... And I'm... uh, Heavy on love, light on pride. Oh. Ah, I was really hoping none of you would steal that from me, so I'm, I'm very happy. You got it. It's all you. It's all Welcome me. back, Wes. You're now... I'm back. You're in the... I'm a repeat offender. Exactly. Breathing that rarefied air. Double episode guest now. Once again, hyping up a 60s artist in their uh, late period career. <laughs> That's your theme. But this time, Sean likes the album. I do. Spoiler alert. I'm more down oh, with yeah. this than your last selection. I should just state now that this is my least favorite album that we've done on the podcast so far. Right wait, up front. Wait, are right you for front. real? <laughs> no. <laughs> this, would, this, this would be a weird one for Peter to just go like hardline, fuck this album. <laughs> <laughs> I've never told you, but I can't stand Smokey Robinson. <laughs> I swear to God, if I ever see him in public. <laughs> it's on sight. <laughs> Watch yourself, Smokey. Yeah, <laughs> you killed everyone I've ever loved. <laughs> Well, now that the cat's out of the bag. Allegedly. (laughs) What Smokey album did you bring us, Wes? I brought you Smokey Robinson's 1980 album, Warm Thoughts. Warm Thoughts. Warm Thoughts. Now, is this with the Miracles? No. He has uh, been without the Miracles for a while at this point. He's been without the Miracles for about eight years. Though, there are two miracles on this album. Mm -hmm. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that and so much more. But what track do you want the people to hear first? For the people, I figure we should start out with my favorite song from the album, which is Heavy on Pride, Light on Love. All right, let's do it. Side A, track two. We'll give the people what they want. Oh, hey, call back.
Now that's a lot funkier than I remember Smokey. When is this from? This is from 1980. Oh, we're going late. Yeah. Late. The year I was born. But this was uh, actually kind of a comeback album for him, because in the 70s, he was not, not doing so hot. And he kind of tried to chase the disco train uh, to diminishing returns. But the album before this, which I don't remember the name of, he put out the song Cruisin', which was a huge hit for him, and kind of allowed him to transition back into more his R&B stuff. But he also branched out a little bit musically on this, I think. Yeah. But I haven't listened to a lot of his 70s stuff. But The, the album before this with, the, with Cruisin' on it is called Where There's Smoke. It's a good good album name. Yeah. And and yeah, that was like his third or fourth comeback record, depending on how you want to frame that. Yeah, he had a very like up and down career. One thing I really like about this record is I feel like it has the modern elements of the time. It has that kind of post-disco 1980s vibe, but you can also hear all the different influences of the different styles he'd been performing over the last 25 years of his musical career. Yeah, definitely. There, there are tracks on here that, you know, if they were arranged a little differently, not even too drastically, he could have been performing earlier in his career. Like there, there's stuff that like wouldn't feel too out of nowhere. If you put it side by side with some of his sixties hits. Yeah. Which I think, makes this record work really well. I feel like 1980 is a really hit or miss time period for soul music because, you know, disco had been big for a while. So people were getting kind of burned out on it. And a lot of the albums that were being put out were sounding really formulaic and uninspired, but because he wasn't just trying to make a disco record, I think it works way better than a lot of other things that were happening in this like 79 to 81 time period. Had he, throughout the 70s, and, and this might be stuff we will get to in a more of a bio section, but, you know, he he and had also, in addition to recording his own material with the Miracles, he had written and produced for others as well, correct? In the 60s, did, did he continue doing that into the 70s? Yeah, he was, well, I mean, Sean can probably say this better than I did, but he was the main songwriter for a while, or one of the main songwriters at Motown for a while until uh, Holland and Dozier came in. Am I saying that right, Sean? Am I? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, oh, Holland Dozier. Holland no, Dozier. Holland. Three people. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was like the main songwriter from about 62 to 66 at Motown and wrote like the majority of the hits for a lot of those artists. So, you know, there's a good chance that some of your favorite Mary Wells and Temptations and Smokey Robinson and Contour songs and artists like that a lot of them were written by Smokey Robinson and he did a lot of arranging he was also key to bringing in a lot of the early acts to Motown because he was kind of a notable figure in the Detroit music scene before Motown was even launching yeah he um he was with Barry Gordy even before Motown was Motown exactly he was like before even Tamla he was with Barry Gordy and and then later on, he became the vice president of Motown, which was part of why his writing, in addition to the Holland Dozier Holland stuff, he wasn't writing as much because he was doing actual like business work, which took a lot of his focus. Yeah, he's been a, a very busy guy, but that's also why he is definitely one of the more wealthy musicians from that time period because he wasn't just getting you know money from the hits, but he also he was just so involved with the writing and the production and the business end of all things Motown. I mean, the argument could easily be made that he is equally important to the Motown legacy as Barry Gordy himself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, he wrote my girl and get ready and like all these other hits that are the Motown sound. Like you can't separate that from that legacy. Yeah. And those songs don't exist without Smokey. You know, in a lot of ways, he really shaped what soul music was because his career started in 1955 and he was performing, you know, primarily doo-wop music at that point. So he was, he was right there at the birth of what we now know as soul music, let alone the Motown sound. Yeah. Massively influential person throughout multiple points of his career and influential in like different directions too. And still going, like he 
2019 he was on a Anderson Pock song. And yeah, was... yeah, make it better. Yeah, yeah, that was a great song too. I was like, wait, Smokey Robinson's on this track. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he was just doing like kind of like backup vocals on it too, so it like wasn't yeah. even like a cheesy like, oh, we're gonna like give him a line and have him feature. I was like, no, he was actually like a part of what is making this song great, which mm-hmm. you know makes sense with his track record of being a very hands-on you know musician producer arranger he could do it all well where do we want to go from here with Smokey? yeah what Just, else? where do we want to go i, from I could here? talk about how i uh why i wanted to feature this record yeah let's do that yeah so <laughs> uh until fairly recently her last couple of years on and off because there's been a pandemic so occasionally i came back home i was living in chicago and while in chicago I lived two stops away from one of the Reckless Records locations. Uh, feel free to cut that if uh, you don't want to give them free advertising. Oh, no, no, I, no. I don't think it's even the first time that we've done that. So. Oh, I'm sure it's not. <laughs> we, we, um, had the, we had the former manager of Reckless Records on here. So so I, I would go there, but I was also fairly broke because Chicago is very expensive to live in, and with everything else, trying to go to school and... All that, I often was unemployed. So, but I, when I had some money, I'd go there and look through the bargain bin. And one day I hit a gold mine in that bargain bin. Someone who I can only assume's name was Slim Goody got rid of a lot of stuff or passed away or something. I don't know. If anyone knows, email these guys and they can tell me. <laughs> uh, had gotten rid of a lot of stuff. And I only know this because right on the cover um, of each of these records, in permanent marker, they wrote their name in big letters and the year the album came out. So, which is, I think, why these were all like in the bargain bin for like two bucks. And one of them that really caught my eye was this album, Warm Thoughts, because the album cover is so striking. It's Smokey Robinson looking like he was on the set of McCabe and Mrs. Miller or something, because he's got a big old fur coat, cowboy hat, and he's in the middle of like the woods in the winter. And I was like, well, I have to know what this album sounds like. It's a very 1980s aesthetic, right? A very 1980s aesthetic. It's, uh, it's like... <laughs> everything but. <laughs> I had no idea what. I mean, I knew what year it was because it says 80 right on the front. But um, It's like he's on the set of The Hateful Eight or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's even got the like Seinfeld puffy shirt on the inside of this oh, yeah, fur does. coat. <laughs> but still um, just like looking like a total badass while doing oh, yeah. all of this. Like, yeah, I just sometimes... He, he doesn't like, look silly at all. He yes, looks very cool. Sometimes I get frilled up and just staying in the woods in the wintertime. You don't. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, if, you, if you get a copy that has the original liner... Uh, sleeve there's a very good picture of him like just strutting in the woods with his fur coat and his hat it's great so yeah like i found that i got johnny taylor's rated extraordinaire which is also a great record natalie cole i can't remember the record though but they're all from around the same time like late 70s and i just took those all home and was like whatever happened with this slim goody I, bad for them great for me because i got all these <laughs> records in good shape other than you know the name being written on the front uh, for very cheap. You know, I know some people get really turned off by any kind of writing on the jacket, but I've always thought that it kind of added to the historical value or nature of record collecting. The provenance. Yeah. The provenance, the history of the the, the item. Yeah. And I've definitely had the... For me, it adds character. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm buying it primarily for what's on the inside of the sleeve. So as long as it's not you know, trashed on the inside. I don't care what the outside looks like. Mm-hmm. I've bought records because of how, like I have a, oh, who's that? Johnny Hodges and Earl Hines record that I bought a hundred percent because someone had written their name all over that thing. And I was like, this has to be a great record. If this person wanted you to know it was theirs. Yeah. They wanted there to be no chance that someone else stole that record because they loved it that much. For like, sure. This is my record. No one touched this. And I'm like, that's got to be good. So I'm going to buy this. I didn't, I think that's how I found out about both those artists. And I, I like them both quite a bit. That's actually a really, really good way to discover things in the dollar bin. I've had similar experiences before where I maybe find two or three records that I know I like. And I realize like, Oh wait, like the same person signed their name on these. I want to just like find every other record they signed 
And if it's something I don't know, maybe it's something good. Like we, we already <laughs> like apparently have pretty, you know, close taste. taste. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I had a similar situation where I just kept buying records at an unnamed record store in Kalamazoo and they all had, I just kept noticing when I got home, like, Oh, this, this was from that same person's collection. <laughs> Because I wouldn't notice it when I was buying them, but I'd take them home and be like, oh, this person had good taste. <laughs> yeah, I, I've no, noticed that with buying in a region, you'll start to, I've seen this person's name on albums before. <laughs> this is like their recommended selection. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll get that every now and then. I think I bought almost every record that had Slim Goody's name on it, because I'm like, well, these all look good. <laughs> they want you to know they owned them. Good. If it's good enough for Slim, it's good enough for Wes. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Slim Goody. <laughs> yeah, wherever you are, Slim Goody, you're a real one. And uh, I appreciate that somehow your records found their way into my collection. They live on, immortalized on this podcast now. Um, let's hear another track off this record. What, what else do you want to play for the people? All right. So the next one, we'll go with Wine, Women, and Song. Keep it on side one there. Yeah, side uh, one, track four. I think we'll have an interesting conversation about. Hopefully. We're the singers in a traveling show. Pack our bags again and off we go. He gave his ring and love, but this I know All he wants me to be is his wife Wine, women, and song are his life I say let's settle down on this, he declines Four neon lights and no vacancy signs His wonderland of fame and me he combines All he wants me to be is his wife Wine, women, and song are his life Enjoy that one. I initially had kind of a knee-jerk reaction of whenever I hear, whenever I hear lyrics like, it reminds me of like the Grateful Dead. We can share the women, we can share the wine, and it starts to sound like this weird material objectifying of women. When yeah. I hear that those equations made, but ultimately, I really like that liked that track. Well, and I think. It it plays on that expectation. Because like if you look at the the track list before you've listened to it, you'll see wine women is like, oh, he's gonna sing about how he's, you know, getting laid in every town, you know, while he's on tour or whatever. But then what he does that's interesting is he has his actual wife sing this song and it's not about it's not praising the road lifestyle. It's it's lamenting it. It's saying he just wants me to be his wife. He doesn't want he doesn't want the rest of what comes with that. He doesn't want to settle down. He wants to run around and, you know, get drunk and he had a kid with another woman at some point 
in time. I think it was later than this, but not much later. I think it was like in 84 or else, or it might have been earlier than that. And it came out in 84 that he had mm. uh, had an illegitimate child. And I just think it's a, it's a really interesting, like, self-reflection. Kind of reminds me of, uh, I'm a film nerd, so I'm always going to equate things to movies, but like, uh, All That Jazz is a movie that is very autobiographical about Bob Fosse, and he doesn't have a high opinion of himself if you watch that movie. And I feel the same about this song, where it's, it's, it's looking inward and being like, man, I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> Not enough to change wrong. it, but definitely to acknowledge it. It's, yeah. yeah. I think <laughs> no, Kanye, uh, it, Kanye West has ridden a whole career on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately, a lot of it's really good. <laughs> I, uh, I wrestle with my, uh, my like of uh, Kanye every day of my life. <laughs> it's the bane of your existence. <laughs> like, Late Registration is just an excellent record. Kanye is such a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. I think many people share that struggle with you. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I, I know lots of people. <laughs> so, yeah, in reading about that song and some a little bit about Smokey's personal life, him and Claudette had actually separated in 1974. Mm-hmm. And one of the tracks from the album A Quiet Storm, The Agony and the Ecstasy, is about their marital struggles and trying to keep it together with them both being on the road. And another thing I'd read in an interview is that, you know, they were touring together for a long time and trying to start a family while on the road. And Claudette actually had seven miscarriages Oh wow! while like trying to be a professional musician with Smokey. And they, they had a lot of struggles going on in their relationship. So they had separated in 74, got back together and then in 1980, are like doing another song about how hard it is for them to be together, and they officially divorced in '86. Mm. So yeah, there's a lot going into that track for sure. Yeah, and to get away from the the personal things on that that song, is the closest thing to a Miracles reunion for the time, because Claudette was a member of the Miracles, and then on guitar on that song, Marv Tarplin. Uh, so we've touched on a few different areas of the Smokey Robinson bio, but I'll real quick run through the major points, put it in perspective for everybody. Mm-hmm. So he was born William Smokey Robinson. Well, he was born William Robinson in February 19th, <laughs> 1940. And he, at a young age, he was given the nickname Smokey Joe because he had an uncle who uh, would take him to see cowboy movies because as a kid, he was really into cowboy movies. Tying and, it back oh, into the cover. Yeah. Yep. And he... Uh, <laughs> His, his uncle was like, I'm going to give you a, a cowboy nickname. So he gave him the nickname Smokey Joe and the, the Smokey part of it just stuck with him. There is yeah. actually a, a rumor that the nickname was given to him because he is a light skinned black man, but Smokey has stated that, that is just not true. Yeah. I, I read that too. I'm a little jealous that you got it out before I did because <laughs> I like the Smokey Joe story. <laughs> totally. Uh, so he was actually childhood friends with Aretha Franklin. They lived uh, close to each other when they were in early childhood, and they remained close friends uh, all through Aretha's life. Um, apparently, the last conversation Smokey had with her was about two weeks before Aretha passed away, and they were talking about the upcoming plans for the Aretha Franklin biopic, which is just now being released. And she was calling to ask him if he had any thoughts on what actor he wanted to have portray himself in the movie do we know who's gonna do it i didn't write it down smokey uh, said he didn't care he was just like yeah. i trust you you know do whoever you want hope the movie's great <laughs> so his career officially started in 1955 as we mentioned he started a doo-wop group called the five chimes which shortly after changed their name to the matadors and then by i believe 1957 they were called the miracles they met Barry Gordy early on after a failed audition for the Brunswick label, which is interesting because that is the label that released the majority, if not all of the Jackie Wilson records who Barry Gordy wrote a few early hits for and used some of the money from writing those hits to launch Motown records. So as we stated, the miracles were one of the very first acts signed to Motown and had been closely linked with Barry Gordy before the label even officially launched. And yeah, Smokey was 
key in signing a lot of the initial talent and then producing a lot of the initial hits for Motown. The first Miracles hit was a track called Shop Around. Everybody knows that one. It came out in 1960. One notable thing about that record, which uh, this happened with many Motown and other soul records, but there are two different versions of the song Shop Around. There's what's known as the Detroit version that came out first that was a little more raw and kind of had like a street-inspired sound to it. And then as it was taking off, they quickly went back in the studio, re-recorded it, added some strings, made it a little more, give it a little more uh, mass appeal, and then it became the, the giant hit that we know today more palatable yeah for the white audience basically <laughs> the entire intention there yeah <laughs> like we we know the black people in detroit love this song but we want it to go nationwide <laughs> he was the principal songwriter for motown from 1962 to 1966 and then around that time was when he was transitioning into his vice president role and they were bringing in the new songwriting teams that were taking over the bulk of the work and scoring all the hits at that point. By the late 60s, he was actually trying to quit touring and lessen his focus on music and wanted to put more time into spending time with his kids and being a family man and also focus more on his vice president role at Motown. But he ended up staying active in music and staying a member of the Miracles through 1972 after the surprise success of their big hit, Tears of a Clown. Which was their only number one with Smokey. Yeah, kind of an interesting like late period Yeah, hit for them, yeah. Wow, I didn't realize it was that late. And I thought Smokey would have had a ton of hits, but I guess... Well, they had a lot of top 40 hits. It was the only one that hit number one. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, like second second that emotion's a pretty big hit, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean they've they've got tracks that people recognize. I've always kind of felt that like of the the major names at Motown, like you know, if you ask someone to name Motown acts, they would probably be able to say the miracles. But I feel like of those main groups, they're still kind of the most underrated of all of them. Like their records are cheaper than pretty much all of their contemporaries. Which is weird because I think they're maybe the most consistent of all of those Motown acts. Like, all of their records were really, really good. And they also had a lot of really good stuff even after Smokey left the group. So, yeah, I don't know what the reason is for that, but that's just always the impression I've got. You know, the records turn up more and they seem to sit around longer than, like, Temptations or Mary Wells, Supremes, stuff like that. Yeah, I have a Smokey Robinson and the Miracles from, I believe, 1970 called What Love Has Joined Together. Actually, that was a song that we featured on the Temptations episode that he, I'm sure he had written. <laughs> and that mm-hmm. album's fantastic too. It's one I had, I had planned on featuring on here, but I, this one, I, I wasn't familiar with this album at all. And I, I love it. Yeah. Smokey, he's, he's been dropping hits for a very, very long time. There are many, many gems throughout his long career. The Miracles were also the first Motown group to change their name to the you know lead singer and the artist, so the, you know the Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. And after they made that move, then you got you know Diana Ross and the Supremes, Gladys Knight and the Pips, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it was also part of uh, the thing with the Temptations. They wanted to change their name to David Ruffin and the Temptations, and the rest of the band was not down with that. <laughs> no. The, the yeah, rest of the band he... was right because that name does not roll off the tongue. <laughs> yeah, and he also like came in several years deep into their career. <laughs> yeah, and just too too many consonants in there. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little rough. In yeah, there. it just doesn't like Smokey Robinson. The Miracles sounds good. Like. Sometimes putting your name in the front doesn't doesn't work. <laughs> so as Wes said, some of his 70s solo records were kind of hit or miss. He, so he officially retired in 1972. He left the Miracles. Uh, left on good terms, though, like oversaw helping them get a new lead singer, like helped them work on their new record, like made sure that they were going to be taken care of after he left kind of thing. He retires in 1972 from music. He stays on as vice president and is trying to become a better family man at that point. It didn't last long, though. 1973, he's back into making solo records. He puts out a couple solo albums that are kind of critically lukewarm reception. The The idea at the time was that he was really preoccupied with like how much work it was to be vice president of Motown Records in the early 70s. So the, the solo material was kind of taking a back seat to that. And then 
1975, reportedly, Barry Gordy like kind of confronted Smokey in the offices and was like, listen, you're miserable. Everyone knows it, and you being miserable is making me miserable. You need to get a band and get the fuck out of here and record a record. <laughs> Which is when he entered the studio and put some real effort into an album and came out with 1975's A Quiet Storm. Quiet Storm. Hey, I've heard that phrase. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Did, did not, that not album do a... any, anything important? Did yeah. it like, create a genre or something? <laughs> did anybody hear it? <laughs> it was a big comeback record for him and later on, you know, started a whole new genre of music that is still active to this day. I mean, there's literally a Quiet Storm radio show on one of the, the radio stations here in Philadelphia that I like to listen to sometimes. Yeah, it became a genre and radio format. Yeah, well, I believe the what I kind of understand. I, I looked into it because I wanted to know the whole genesis of how Quiet Storm went from a smoky album to like a genre descriptor. And apparently, it that album came out, and then there was a radio program that played that kind of music, like latched onto that sound and named itself after the album, called okay. itself the Quiet Storm. And it might be that one from Philly. It may, that may have just stayed the case. But uh, and then that just became like Quiet Storm music was the kind of music that was played on the Quiet Storm radio broadcast. And then you know there was a sound that kind of coalesced there. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely familiar with the genre term before I even realized that it was named after a Smokey Robinson album. I only so. recently learned that there was a Smokey Robinson album called The Quiet Storm, and I feel <laughs> it wasn't. I think until. I I was uh I posted like this album on uh now playing on uh Facebook and someone was like you got to check out the Smokey Robinson album Quiet Storm I'm like oh the things make sense so now like <laughs> that's where the <laughs> I was like wait which came first the, the that's why I looked into it I was like did he name the album after the sound or the sound came from the album and it was uh the case that mm -hmm. he coined the term yep so yeah, that was a, his comeback record in 75. He wasn't quite able to repeat the success of that uh, after the, the records that came after that. You know, they were, again, critically lukewarm reception. And then in 1979, another comeback with his biggest solo hit of his career, Cruisin', from the Where There's Smoke album that we mentioned. And then that brings us right up to 1980, Warm Thoughts, which was basically recorded specifically as a follow-up to that album and that song so it's kind of taking some inspiration from that some inspiration from the quiet storm era and then some inspiration from the early motown days and the doo-wop and everything you can hear little bits of all of that on this mm. record sean i love it when we're cruising together <laughs> <laughs> well music was made for love and so was cruising i'm out here in philly with sean for the listeners who don't know cruising together for one weekend for sean's birthday weekend that's right this episode is currently being recorded on my birthday that's how committed i am to this podcast also happy birthday sean i haven't said it yet that's why <laughs> we let you. him Thank say you. john earlier <laughs> why you indulged us both that's why yeah. i didn't just turn off the uh the, my mic and leave Still considered it, though. There was definitely did, some did moments consider of consideration. <laughs> Sean, look forward to two and a half weeks from now when this episode drops <laughs> and you get a bunch of birthday wishes, wishes from our <laughs> listeners. You know what? I'm two fine with that. Two and a half weeks after it's your fine. birthday. <laughs> it's engagement. That's what this is all about, right? Mm-hmm. I got something to look forward to, at least yeah. some two and a half weeks out now. So something that surprised me in, in researching for this episode... I had assumed this album didn't do that well because no one talks about it. You can't find any like live video of any of these songs on YouTube. Cause I was, I was, I was looking like a while ago. I was like, Oh, I guess this album just didn't do well, but it actually did pretty well. It was number 14, I think on the hot 100 and number four on the R and B charts. So I just don't know. I don't know why these songs have not been as remembered. And why, like, there's no live footage of him performing these songs. Maybe he just never performed them in front of a camera. Were any but... of these songs hits? I didn't recognize any before I listened to this. The I think the only one that was released as a single, and I think it did okay, was one we're not featuring today, which is Let Me Be The Clock, which is the opening track. 
but it didn't have any staying power, it seems. Yeah, or it might have just been, you know, eclipsed by his his mega hit the year before. And the follow-up album also had a pretty big hit. Uh, Being With You is a a big song. Mm -hmm. I would say it seems like this record is maybe the easiest one to find of the Smokey Robinson solo stuff. This one is just always in the dollar bin. And I actually, Mm -hmm. like, kind of avoided listening to it for a long time because I just only knew it in that context of, like, no one seems to like this record. It can't be good. You know, it's, like, so late into his career. And then, and now um, you make your, uh, yeah, not, not well, your living, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> trying uh, to, trying to rethink those, <laughs> those ideas. Yeah. Well, actually like I, the reason I got into it was a friend of mine, Jitus bags came into the record store I was working at and was looking through the dollar bin. He's like, Hey, what do you know about the smoky album? I was like, I don't know. Like can't vouch for that one. Maybe it's good. He gave it a shot and then like came back a week later was like, yo, warm thoughts. That's good. And I when picked I, up a copy shortly after and been playing it ever since. When I got this record for like a week, I played it every single day and sometimes more than once a day. I was like, this album slaps so hard. These songs are great. Like, especially Heavy on Pride, Light on Love just hit me so hard. Like that song is just a jam. I keep... I, if I don't have time to listen to the whole album, I'll just put that one on sometimes. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, or I'll skip "Let Me Be the Clock," which is still a great song. Um, it'll be on the playlist. <laughs> yeah, I I like that song a lot. That one oh, might I, be my favorite, actually. I really like it too, but it is a little cheesy. A little bit, yeah. I mean, there's and a the, little bit of cheese throughout, you know. But. And the double entendres are a little stretched. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of tracks on this record, what's the next one you want to hear? Well. We're going to do the one that Stevie Wonder wrote, it, which uh, is Melody Man. And he also arranged it, right? Yeah. And I believe he co-produced that one song, but not, nothing else on here. And he does not play on it or sing on it, which surprised me. I'm like, well, if he, he wrote it, produced it, and arranged it. Why didn't, why didn't he play piano? Why didn't he sing? Yeah, at least a harmonica solo or something. Yeah, like, give me something, Stevie. But <laughs> at least he gave us... A, a great song which actually was the one that took me the longest to uh really click with but now i click with it yeah and you can definitely pick up on the the stevie wonder vibes so oh yeah for sure side two track one melody man Woo. bad the the thing that this song like the sound here that i always like immediately came to my mind the first time i heard it was at first i thought 
oh, this kind of sounds like Talking Heads. But then I realized, no, it doesn't sound like Talking Heads. What it sounds like is the Brian Eno and David Byrne album, uh, some of the stuff they did on that. That bass line just really sounds like, uh, I can't remember the name of the song. It's like America's Waiting or something like that. The bass line just sounds so much like that to me. And I feel bad about that because it's definitely, the influence is going the other way. It's not, Talking Heads is not influencing this or David Byrne or Brian Eno or whatever. It's these guys influenced those those groups. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe not specifically this song, but I mean, I've always kind of argued that Talking Heads wouldn't have been nearly as good of a band if they didn't take on all of that black music influence and, you know, literally mm-hmm. have like the keyboardist from P-Funk join the group. Yeah. Bernie Worrell's <laughs> a big part of uh why that band got as big as they did and Definitely. Were as good as they were. Definitely. Speaking of side musicians and session people, do you have anything to say about the guests on this album? There was just something that jumped out at me. We mentioned that Stevie arranged that song we just listened to. All the other songs were arranged by Reginald Sonny Burke. And he's a keyboardist who was also in the Iceman's band, Jerry Butler's band, that we did an episode oh, on a while back. Nice. I didn't make that connection. I knew the name. I've heard of Sonny Burke. But I I did not connect it to Jerry Butler. Yeah, it's cool. He's all over this record, Sonny Burke. Yeah, and he I believe he also was heavily involved in the uh, Being With You album as well. Oh, really? I think so. I cool. Don't quote me on that. I mean, you leave it in. But <laughs> if anyone's mad at me, just I didn't. I can't remember for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I did not get a chance to look up all of the players on this record, but I yeah, did I notice that either. the all of the guitarists are really, really good. In fact, two of them are some of my absolute favorite guitarists that I will like buy any record that they're on. Uh, David T. Walker and Phil Upchurch are both playing guitar on this record. And then you also got Wawa Watson, who was you know an amazing session player, did a lot of Motown stuff. Uh, Marv Tarplin from The Miracles, as we mentioned. And then... A guy by the name of Marlo Henderson, who I was not familiar with, but it looks like he was in the group High Voltage, and he did a couple records with Buddy Miles in the early 70s. Yeah, the only name I recognized was Phil Upchurch, and was like, that's interesting. (laughs) Yeah, we did a 45 on Phil Upchurch for our Patreons. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. I still haven't listened to any of your uh, 45 episodes, but you get my five bucks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah it doesn't matter if you listen to them as long as we get that five dollars and i still listen once they go on spotify instead of through the uh patreon <laughs> oh yeah you know if you would if you had gotten early access you would have realized that we uh talked about the smoky robinson and the quiet storm on our michael henderson episode ah but i don't like to listen to him through the thing because i listen on my phone and it's not the most uh, uh, easy thing to listen to the audio recording on my phone. I uh, that makes hey, sense. That's okay. You give us those listens by by doing it the way you're doing it. Yeah, yeah. We get, we get those valuable <laughs> get those, downloads. Those valuable, valuable uh, fractions of a penny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you get my five bucks every month, so that. <laughs> well, we appreciate your. That's better than your uh, selfless the support. On Spotify. <laughs> yeah, if since we've taught, we've mentioned it so much, if you want to. Join Wes in giving us $5 a month. Go over to patreon.com slash I'd buy that podcast and check out what we have available there. Are there any spots open for the, the $20 tier where Sean will send you records or is that full now? No, there's still a few left. That's uh, right. I got plenty, plenty of good records to well, send people. I don't have 20 bucks and I don't need more records. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do, but I... Uh, have nowhere to put them <laughs> right that's it is always the problem eventually with record collecting i'm trying to downsize but it's it's very hard <laughs> well speaking of uh speaking of record collecting you guys want to hear some uh suggestions of similar artists to this this album Nah, just listen to this album all right yeah just this one and then you're good you don't need any other albums just <laughs> this, continuously listen to this one the end of music I only want the recommendations if you put them on a Spotify playlist, Sean. Well, then you're in luck. And I also know that you're lying because you haven't listened to a single Spotify playlist I've made. 
called out. Oh no. <laughs> I've listened to one or two. Well, you you're doing better than Jeremy. Well, he is too busy editing your podcast. <laughs> That's, That's what I say. Yeah, and having seen behind the curtains, it feels like it's going to take him a while. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to run through a couple selections from this list. We got big Motown artists like the Supremes. We got the the jam "Automatically Sunshine" from the album Floyd Joy that we covered early on in the podcast. Barrett Strong is on here doing the song Misery. He was one of the early Motown artists and later one of the principal songwriters after Smokey transitioned into the vice president role. And Smokey has stated that Barrett was one of his primary uh, influences of vocalist when he was coming up in the music scene. Another early influence of his was Billy Ward and the Dominoes. Put mm. the song Pedal Push and Papa on there. Yeah. And then mm. I also put a handful of Philly soul artists because I feel like the stuff he was doing with this like post-disco sound on Warm Thoughts is almost more reminiscent of what was happening in Philadelphia at the time. So I've got Bunny Sigler on there, who we've talked about before on the Instant Funk episode. And I know, Wes, you're a, a Bunny Sigler fan after hearing that one, right? That and uh, the Gabor Sabo album that he he did. Wait, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. He did... Oh, now I gotta look. <laughs> I swear I talked to you about I got a Gabor Sabo album out of a dollar bin half because Gabor Sabo and half because Bunny Siegler but I could be misunderstanding what I did <laughs> well uh, if, if it's wrong we'll clean that up in post Please do. Um, <laughs> Teddy Pendergrass is on there then I also put a Stevie Wonder track on from the album Hotter Than July which also came out in 1980 so he was working on that album at the same time as when he was producing the track on here I've looked it up. Bunny Siegler did produce Gabor Sabo's album Night Flight, so I was not wrong. Perfect. There you go. <laughs> your, your instincts were correct. <laughs> There's a handful of different smoky tracks on here. Some of the songs from Warm Thoughts that we did not feature, plus some stuff from other albums. Like I put the track The Agony and the Ecstasy from A Quiet Storm. Probably and the- being with you on there too. Yeah, there's there's so many good tracks, it's hard to yeah. pick. <laughs> um, I also put a track from the one soundtrack that Smokey Robinson did for the, the film Big Time, which I actually really like. That's one of my more favorite mid-70s releases from him. That You can usually find that one pretty cheap, so keep an eye out. There's a uh, Ink Spots and Ella Fitzgerald song on here, which was the inspiration for one of the songs on here. The Ink Spots track is called Into Each Life, Some Rain Must Fall. Eddie Kendricks, of course, uh, the Shy Lights doing the track Stoned Out of My Mind, which was another one that we featured for a Patreon episode. Sammy Davis Jr., who we featured. Johnny Taylor, because I know Wes is a fan. I Jerry love Butler. Johnny Taylor. Mm-hmm. Michael Henderson. And then we put a couple tracks that were written by Smokey Robinson, including another Beatles song doing their version of You Really Got a Hold on Me. There's a Mary Wells song, a Marvin Gaye song, and a Contours song, all that Smokey wrote, plus George Benson covering Ain't That Peculiar, and also Todd Rundgren, of all people, doing a live version of Ooh Baby Baby from 1971 that is, like, surprisingly good. Ooh, I'm excited for that. I love me some Todd. Yeah, well, look forward to that. You can find all of that on Spotify. Just search I'd Buy That Podcast, all one word, to find all of our playlists Dive in, discover some new music. Don't be like Jeremy. Listen to it. (laughs) (laughs) Or edit a podcast. Those are your two choices. Either be like Jeremy and edit a podcast, or don't be like Jeremy and listen to the playlist. (laughs) That I can live with. There's only two kinds of people out there. Jeremy and not Jeremy. (laughs) (laughs) One day I'll meet him and uh, it'll be less weird that I'm picking on him. I thought that possibly we could feature that Todd Rundgren album, A Wizard, A True Star, because it's one that you can find still for, I don't know, like five, six, seven dollars and maybe lesser if you're lucky. I don't know. It's hard to say, but that'd probably be one you'd want to come talk about if we did. Right, Wes? That's one of my favorite albums of all time. <laughs> yeah. So good. What What do you think, Sean? What's your take on that? Is that one A Wizard, A True Star? Could that one be featured on the program? Yeah, we can we can bend the rules slightly. I mean, that's there's enough copies out there where if you if you keep looking, you can find a cheap one. And that was actually the first record I heard of Todd that made me think like, oh shit, I need to listen to some more Todd Rundgren because this is good. Oh, it's, 
it's just a mind-bending album. I I hadn't ever heard it until a couple years ago, and I think I picked a, up a copy for six bucks. Yeah, I uh, I don't think I'd ever. That was the first full Todd Rundgren album I'd listened to. I knew you know the hits from uh, from uh, something anything and all that, but and and of course, bang on the drum, the all-time classic. Yeah. Well, look forward to. A season three appearance <laughs> from Wes Wheat, where we dive into a wizard, a true star. But do we have any final thoughts on Smokey Robinson? Final warm thoughts? Uh, yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I see what you did there. I have a weird story about Smokey. I oh. went and saw him. Yeah. But it. Like at his house? Like he just, he just knocked on the door, <laughs> got he his address. T- <laughs> you did tell you did tell a story about seeing Smokey Robinson and it being a very underwhelming experience on the podcast. Well, that makes sometime. me feel better because I was looking at tickets because he's going to be uh, at Four Winds in New Buffalo, and they're very expensive. And I'm like, now that I know it's underwhelming, I I feel better about not being able to afford it. What what was the for those who didn't hear the story though, Jeremy? What what were the details specifically? Well, he was playing at the San Diego Fair when I was living out in California. And I was like, Smokey Robinson, cool, for free. Mm. And I had just seen Weezer at the horse racetrack for free. (laughs) And that went pretty well. (laughs) So I go to see Smokey, and he's mostly just like... You guys remember when milkshakes were 15 cents and our Chevys used to be as big as a boat? <laughs> and then the good old he would days. sing like a verse of a famous song, then kind of stop and start talking about the good old days again. And then he'd <laughs> sing like a chorus from a song and then stop. He, I don't even know if he got through a song before I just left (laughs) yeah well at least you got to see weezer for free and it was decent true (laughs) i can attest weezer are a are a good live band summit riot fest a couple years ago real fun i'm just waiting for that weezer and Smokey robinson collaboration album to drop oh it could it could happen (laughs) you never know but what color would it be sean (laughs) they're running out of colors now it would just be the warm album. The warm album. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Warmer thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> Smoky thoughts. Ooh. Smoky rivers. <laughs> <laughs> we figured it out. All right. I, yeah. I expect some royalties whenever this happens, guys. <laughs> the thing is, Weezer just keep doing what they want to do, so it's not out of the realm of possibilities. Yeah. I mean, the <laughs> amount of... Un- unpredictable collaborations that they've done is getting pretty high. Yeah, if, I mean, if they can do a Toto cover with Weird Al, then they can drop a Smokey Robin- Robinson collaboration. <laughs> yeah. Like, the yeah. world is ready. Make it happen, guys. <laughs> and it, it can't be worse than Van Weezer, so... <laughs> Van, well, Van Weezer wasn't that bad, but it it's not good either. <laughs> it's uh, about a half a good album, maybe. I was disappointed because OK Human was really good. <laughs> yeah, I know, just a few months before that. Well, I think that we've switched uh, to the Weezer podcast that I guessed it on a Peter, while Peter, will back. you... Yeah. Uh, which... Oh, no, that's right. There is a Weezer podcast that you've been on. Because I was going to say, Peter, do you want to start a Weezer podcast with me? <laughs> There's, that would be great, but there are so many already. But it's worth mentioning that if you uh, want to check out Feels Like Weezer, I guested on an episode recently talking about the song The Other Way off the album Make Believe. And uh, had a good time talking about it. Feels those. like a bold stance. Make Believe is a controversial album in the Weezer discography. Oh, yeah. Oh, my it God, is. guys. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have gone into the weeds and then passed it, and you're just like off a cliff at this point. All right, Smokey well, Robinson. Uh, <laughs> let's, 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 let's wrap it up here with Smokey. Um, All this Weezer stuff's getting cut, and I know it. <laughs> and it should. I'm going to cut just like Weezer cuts out of their albums, so I'll just leave it all in. Yeah. <laughs> that was a burn. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Find out Jeremy's not a not a Weezer fan here. No, I like him already. Okay. <laughs> How did we talk about Weezer again? Let's can we just end this episode now? I think 
we need to put this episode out of its misery at this point. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I had to say about this album. Well, uh, what, are you, what are you leaving us on? What's the final selection? What do you want to say about that, Wes? Well, it was very hard for me to pick just four songs from this album because, in my opinion, there's not a bad song on this album. There are some that are less memorable. This has the opposite to the last album I covered, uh, which Kinks uh, give the people what they want, where I think side one is stronger than side two. The less memorable songs to me on this album are I Want Your Love and Traveling Through, which are the last two songs, so we're not going to have those. But uh, I am going to leave you with Into Each Rain, Some Life Must Fall, which I think is just a beautiful song, and it's a nice sentiment. You know, I mean, I guess it's not a nice sentiment. It's much. It's actually the opposite of better things. <laughs> yeah, or very similar to better things, where it's like uh, things are bad, but uh, sometimes good things happen. Yeah, exactly. You got to look for the silver linings. Sometimes. I think that was part of why I picked it to be the final song because I'm like, oh, I'll leave it like I left it last time with a song that is <laughs> about how things are bad, but sometimes they're good, and maybe focus on that a little bit. <laughs> You know, it's that's some valuable advice. <laughs> sometimes you're talking day. about Smokey Robinson. Sometimes you get on a tangent about Weezer. <laughs> <laughs> that's how life goes. Into each Smokey, some Weezer must fall. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! All, All right. right, well, I'm, we're out. I'm I'm done. <laughs> I've been Sean Hartman. I'm still Jeremy Ruggles. And on my better days, I am. Peter Cook. I will be Wes Wheat. <laughs> Once you achieve your final Once form. Once I achieve my final form. Once I go Super Saiyan. <laughs> well, looking forward to that. <laughs> Here's the last track on this we'll episode. We'll never know I'm already blonde. It's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Side one, track three, Into Each Rain, Some Life Must Fall. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'd buy that for a dollar. Out! <laughs> oh my goodness. Rain. I miss you It keeps on raining And into each rain Some life must fall If it's April or December Ooh.